Welcome to the Catch the Fire London podcast. We hope and pray you'll encounter God as you listen to this message. Being a shepherd and Jesus being a shepherd, and we think, oh, look at these amazing shepherds. But actually, the cost of being a shepherd is extraordinary. And I think that's still why we get into the reading before I jump too much into it. Come on, here's my Bible. I've got my Bible up here ready for you. We're going to do a reading. Sorry, I didn't give you the verse, Tanya. But it's going to be from Luke 2, verse 8 to verse, so from here down to here. Is that right? I'll hold the microphone for you. Now there were in the same shepherd, in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on an earth peace goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from the hev- into heaven and that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known that the saying which was told to them concerning this child, and all marveled at those which were told by them, the shepherds. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told to them. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Come on. Well done. Right. Do you want to take a match? And why don't we light this one around the front here? So you can go around if you want to to do that. So we're going to light that candle as a sign of joy. And isn't it amazing that I just angels last week? They had to be reminded not to be afraid. This crazy thing is happening where they're like encountering. You can probably just light it on that candle if you want to. There you go. And then come around to this one. Amazing. Thank you, Estelle. much. Brilliant. Another round of applause for Estelle, everybody. And so, in the face of utter terror, like the craziest thing has happened to these bottom of the heap people who are out just minding their own business in the middle of the night, watching their flock. And in fact, actually, shepherds were on high alert, right? Because they were looking out for wolves, and they were looking out for bears, and there were even lions in ancient Israel. And so they were like, they were on high alert in the night, and suddenly an angel turns up. Can you imagine if that was you? You'd have maybe needed to go and get a wardrobe change, wouldn't you? Like that would have been a moment. They turn up, and then the first thing the angel says to them after, do not be afraid, is, I bring you great tidings of joy. Isn't that extraordinary? That the very first thing they say is, this is joy. And then, but this, I've been doing a bit of research, and this utterly blew my mind, and this is where I wanted to get into. So the shepherds were the bottom of the heap. Now, something very fascinating we find in John 1.29 which is John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus turning up to get baptized, what, what does he say? 
It says, behold, yeah, there we go, Timmy and Falake, come on. It says, behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. There's something significant about Jesus being a lamb. Other parts of the Bible describe him as the lamb that was slain before time. Other parts describe him as an unblenished, spotless lamb. He's the lamb of God. John the Baptist signifies it. And the first people who get to hear about the birth of Jesus is these shepherds who really know about lambs. And the thing that's really interesting about Bethlehem is that Bethlehem was known as the place where the sacrificial lambs for the temple were born. And so Bethlehem had a a particularly special type of shepherd there because despite them being born with they were experts to recognize the sacrificial lamb. And the sheep in Bethlehem were quite special because they were bred specifically because they would often have lambs without spot or blemish. And so we have this context now where we're looking at these shepherds who can only be trusted for one thing, which is their expertise in recognizing the sacrificial lamb. Isn't that cool? Isn't that really exciting? But it gets even better than that. So these shepherds who are experts of sacrificial lambs protecting the most prized lambs and sheep in the whole of Israel who are being made ready to go to Jerusalem for sacrifice. And they're the ones the angels show up to. But then it gets even cooler than that. So in Micah, we read the very first week, in Micah 5.2, there's that prophetic word, isn't there, of Bethlehem being the birthplace of Jesus. And we learned that the wise men wouldn't have known that because they were going based on Daniel's teachings and prior, and this was 500 years after Daniel and all that kind of stuff. But Micah prophesies that Bethlehem is going to be the birthplace of the Messiah. And the advisors of Herod know this, and they advise the wise men to go there. Now, what's really interesting is also in Micah, if you go to Micah 4, verse 8, it says this, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom, shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. That's the King James Version. If you read it in other versions, but I wanted to get specifically one of those words in there, is that it's talking about Zion, the kingdom coming, through the daughter of Jerusalem. It's a prophetic statement of the fact that it's coming through the daughter, Mary, of Israel. So, but also, it's a, a, the Messiah coming to the Tower of the Flock. Now, the Tower of the Flock there is a Hebrew word, and it's actually a word, Migdal Eda, which is literally translated as Watchtower of the Flock. But it's also a specific place. Now, if you ever go to Israel and do any of the right kind of the Bible tours of Israel, people often go to, in Bethlehem, they'll go to the Church of the Nativity, which sits above a cave, and it's got loads of signs, and everyone says, this is the birthplace of Jesus, where they believe it to be a cave. Most Messianic Jewish scholars believe that's wrong for a number of reasons. And this is what really started to blow my mind, is that actually they believe the birthplace of Jesus to be this specific place, which is a, a watchtower called the Watchtower of the Flock, Migdalida, which is just outside the city of Jerusalem, next to where they most likely would have grazed the prized lambs and sheep who were going to be going to sacrifice in Jerusalem because it was the best pasture land. And what they would have done in Migdal Eda was they, they would have, where traditionally it was a military watchtower, it got converted and for generations was used as a tower of protection for ewes. And so when they had these prized ewes that would become pregnant, who they were expecting spotless blemish unblemished lambs to come out of, they would take them into the tower to keep them safe. And they would not be out on the same grazing ground as the others, but they would be kept safe in this tower, Migdalida, the tower of the flock, ready for birthing of the prize lamb, the spotless, unblemished lamb. But it gets even better than this. So there's a guy, Cooper Abrams, who writes in an article about Migdalida, 
This watchtower from ancient times was used by shepherds for protection from their enemies and wild beasts. It was also the place where ewes were safely brought to give birth to lambs. In this sheltered building, the priests would bring in the ewes, which were about to lamb for protection. These special lambs came from a unique flock, which was designated for sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem. Typically, Migdal Eda at Bethlehem is the perfect place for Christ to be born. He was born in the very birthplace of tens of thousands of lambs, which had been sacrificed to prefigure him. God promised it, pictured it, and performed it at Magdalena. It all fits together that the place where sacrificial lambs were born. Jesus was not born behind an inn in a smelly stable where the donkeys and other animals of travelers were kept. He was born in Bethlehem at the birthing place of the sacrificial lambs that were offered in the temple in Jerusalem, which is called the Tower of the Flock. Now, even more so, there's a Messianic Jewish scholar called Albert Edelstein, and he studied the Torah, which obviously we all know to be the ancient scripture of the of the Jews but then also he studied the Mishnah which is the um the Abrahamic tradition of verbal passing down of the law of Israel he also studied the Targum as well which is also another ancient Jewish script and they all reference the tower of the flock as the place that the Messiah would come and be revealed to the world and so we have this place the Migdal Eder there's also a passage in the Mishnah that leads to the conclusion that the flocks which passed there were designated for temple sacrifice and they were not ordinary shepherds. Now, this is where it gets really cool. So, we have this protective place where the ewes that were pregnant would come and lay and they'd give birth to the sacrificial lambs without spot and without blemish. Now, what would happen is that they would, when the lambs were born, they would wrap them in cloth to stop them from getting marks and blemishes and spots upon them. And they'd lay them down in an, what they would call a manger, which looked like a rock, but is made out of clay and straw. And it was specifically the place where the spotless, unblemished lambs would be laid wrapped in cloth. And then they would wait for the priests to come and confirm that they were without mark and without blemish so that they could be used as the perfect sacrifice at the temple. Now, this is extraordinary. Because what we find here in this scripture is that the shepherds say, let us go and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. It doesn't say that they came without sure where they were going. It doesn't say they had to stop for directions. It says they came with haste. And here's a bit of the scripture that I've always overlooked and I've always not really taken hold of. But it's this one sentence. And this was assigned to you. Have you ever stopped and thought about that sentence? This will be a sign to you. Because we read these verses every single year and we don't ever really stop to think about it. But the sign is this, that there will be a babe who is wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The sign is not go to Bethlehem. The sign is not glory to God in the highest. The sign is not the angels turning up. The sign is specifically a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. What would that have meant? Number one. They will have known from their scriptures, from their traditions, that Bethlehem, and almost specifically, Middaleda, was the location where the Messiah would be revealed. They would have also known all of the scriptures that referred to him as a spotless, unblemished lamb, the perfect sacrifice. They also knew that when a spotless lamb was born, it would be laid specifically in a manger in swaddling cloths. They did not need to figure out where they were going, did they? They knew they didn't need GPS, they didn't need Google Maps to tell them where they were going. They had a sign in that moment of, we're going straight to that tower because there is a you who is carrying the sacrificial lamb. 
for the sins of the world. Isn't that extraordinary? And so we find in this moment this incredible picture of the fact that there was thousands of spotless lambs who were sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. But there was one lamb who was slain before time, who was sent to the earth to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in the manger signifying his unblemished pure form. To signify to us that not only had he come as a sacrificial lamb, but he had come as the sacrificial lamb to end the need for all sacrificial lambs going forward. And then something extraordinary happens because the shepherds are full with great joy, aren't they? They're full of excitement. And they go off to the town and start telling everybody and everybody marveled at what they said. But this doesn't add up to me when you think about what I said at the start, which is that shepherds Shepherds weren't allowed to testify in court. Shepherds were dirty and unclean. They weren't allowed to attend temple. They were the very bottom of the pile. But there's one thing. There's one thing that those shepherds had authority to speak into that people would sit up and listen to because they knew that they were the shepherds who were experts at finding a spotless, unblemished lamb. And so these men and boys who had no right in the cultural eyes to be the ones who bore the message of the Messiah's arrival were the very ones who knew exactly how to notice and see and grab hold of the coming of the Messiah. And people marveled. Why? Because A, they had the authority to speak it. But B, it wasn't a king running around. It wasn't a procession of kingly nature. It was the beautiful, most incredible metaphor for the exact purpose of the kingdom of heaven, which is to come for the very least of these. You may feel like you're at the bottom of the heap. You may feel like you don't matter. You may feel like you have no rights. You may feel like whether your culture, your race, your gender, your position, your class defines how much you deserve something. You may feel like you don't have any rights. You may feel that even as a Christian, that you don't have a voice. But the reality is this. It's for the very lowest that Jesus came to first. That his arrival was announced to those. And so he came for you. He came for me. But then also it's the very highest who came and bowed their knees in worship to him. Because then when the wise men or the kings came and they bowed their knees in worship, Jesus came for all. And this Advent is a time of us to understand that he came for each and every one of us. And sometimes we find it maybe a bit odd to talk about Easter at Christmas because it's nice to think about the nice baby and the birth and the celebration and his birthday. But even as a babe, his purpose was sacrifice. And as we reflect on him today, we grab hold of his sacrifice for us. So we're going to worship. And just as I'm just thinking, I'm just drawn to, yeah, if you stand, if you can. I'm just drawn to Galatians where it talks about we've received the spirit of adoption in which cries out, Abba, Father. And I've never quite seen it like this before. But in your salvation, you've gained one, one particular thing above the salvation, above the forgiveness. But like those shepherds, 
you have been given the authority to recognize Jesus, to see the sacrificial lamb. Nobody can deny you of that. And so as we worship him, let's pray first of all, but know that today there's joy in the coming of him. And there's an incredible empowerment for you in his coming, that he came as a sacrificial lamb for each and every one of us to from sin and death, but also to give us authority that we could speak of him and people would sit up and listen and marvel because it's not about your perception and your position and the vessel. It's about him who we're speaking of. But also know that he has lifted you up above your perceived position in life and placed you with authority on your lips to decree glory to God in the highest and peace to all men on earth because Jesus has come this day. And so loving Father, we we grab hold and rejoice in your presence with the light of your love and in it the metaphor of this candle (laughs) reveal and fill our hearts with the joy of our salvation God would you help us to share this joy with others and like those shepherds would we be so full of joy that as we race around the town decreeing of the coming of the king that people would marvel at your name and be drawn to worshiping you in Jesus mighty name amen let's worship
praise you in this place this morning, God. We praise you, mighty God, mighty counselor. We praise you and we worship. We just come like we sang. We, we knock on the door of heaven with our worship. We knock on the door of heaven with our, our praise. And we say, come, come, let us adore him. Let us adore him in this place. Let us adore him on this day as we celebrate our Savior's birth. I'm going to transition into Matthew 2, uh, verse 8 to 11. Um, If you've got your Bibles, please uh, come and turn with me. So we've looked at the shepherds, and now we're going to look at the kings. So this is their journey. And he sent them to Bethlehem. So this is Herod. Herod's sending them to Bethlehem. And he said, go and search carefully for the young. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So... What I love here is that you have these wise men who have traveled far. They have come a long distance, um, you know, before they got to Herod. And then they've got a little bit of an extra journey to go. And they saw the star um, guiding them along the way. And when they got to the place where the star hovered above, they had the most beautiful reaction. It says, Um, here in verse 10 when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy so what does that look like what does it look like not just to have joy but to have exceedingly great joy so that is joy that is extravagant it is abundant it is overflowing passion it is it is a wild um and and yeah just (laughs) over and over that burst out of them and so i i like to picture picture it I'm very visual and so um, I picture it that they came and they saw this star and they came in and they saw the babe and they were they were gushing they were they were probably running around high-fiving each other whooping in the air you know maybe doing some some little kicks with joy as, as they went like you know it was <laughs> okay, yay. they were they were exceedingly abundantly overflowing with joy in their hearts and rejoicing at this at this at this stage that they have been um, coming and standing with them. And, you know, it probably would have been very inappropriate of them to be doing all this stuff, but, you know, they probably would have just been so overjoyed with it that this is just the, the natural bubbling within them. And so how could they be so joyous? How could they have this response? Um, what led to that? So for most people, if they would have come into this scene, they would have just seen this um, babe in the manger lying there. And with our earthly eyes, it would have been like, oh, isn't this a sweet baby? But that's, you know, probably about it. It's fleshy. It's maybe crying, you know, in his feeding or changing. Um, and, it, you know, it's, this babe is completely dependent uh, upon people um, to look after him. He wouldn't really seemed like much of the the king um, that everyone was hoping for, the victorious king, the mighty king, the one who was coming to save them and take them out of slavery. Um, 
you know, once and for all and bring them back to the promised land. You know, the baby's outer appearance wouldn't really have seemed much and it would not have alluded to the great treasure that was actually within him. So the wise men, however, didn't look with their earthly eyes. They looked with heaven's perspective. They already knew that when they saw this babe, that within within him was the fulfillment of the promises of the prophecies of what was to come. They knew that already within this tiny babe, because they had seen him, that he was the sign of everything that would come to follow, that it would begin to unravel and that it would be a fulfillment and a completion. It was all there inside of him already, even just as a babe. In the natural, it wouldn't have looked much, but they knew because they had studied, it was their, it was their lives. Their lives was to study the prophecies, to go over the scriptures, to go over the prophecies and know them off by heart, know them inside out. And so they were, they were, um, they were excited because what they could see was the unfolding of the prophecies to come. And so we can look at things with our earthly eyes. And they may seem small, they may seem trivial, and that they don't really amount to much. But even in their embryonic stage, something as small as an idea, something as small as uh, a little bubbling within us, can actually turn into the fulfillment of a plan that God has had. And Jesus, in this time, held the actualization of everything to come. And so the shepherds and the wise men, they looked down on Jesus and they could rejoice in that. They could have exceedingly, abundantly great joy because they, they, they could see what was to come and they could hold on to that. They didn't just see the baby before them. They saw who he would become and everything that he would accomplish. And so when we look around us, we can look with our earthly eyes. We can look at what's in our hands. We can see what our current is like. And as I said, it may seem small. It may seem trivial. It may not seem much. It may seem worthless. But when this little thing is nurtured, when it is sown into, when it is allowed to grow and develop and mature and come to its fruition... It becomes the fulfillment and the completion of a promise. And Zechariah 4 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb in Zerubbabel's hand. It's very clear. God has an instruction over all of us. Do not despise the small things. Do not despise how they start. Do not despise or be upset or disappointed or angry or anything like that at the smallness of something. Because whilst we may have big dreams and we want it to be bigger and grow and be, you know, a multitude of things, you know, often things start in a very small form, in an embryonic form. And so we have to understand that even in this small place, the Lord rejoices over it because he knows what is to come. He knows how it will grow. He can see already into the future. He knows he's outside of time and space. So he already knows what it will look like and he rejoices in what it will become. 
And so we, in that place, then we can rejoice in it because the Lord already knows. And if he is rejoicing, then we can step into rejoicing also. And in that place, in Psalm 1611, it describes in his presence, in God's presence, is the fullness of joy. And so if God is rejoicing about something that we have, even though it may seem small, if we get into his presence, as he is rejoicing, then we can be full of joy and we can rejoice with him and we can capture what heaven is seeing and heaven is doing and heaven's perspective. And again, we go from having this shift from our earthly into a heavenly kingdomly mindset. And so we need to learn what it looks like um, to be like the wise men who rejoiced with this exceedingly great, abundantly amazing, overwhelming, overflowing joy. So even if it doesn't look like much, turn your heart and your mind to joy over it. Because what happens is when we step into that place of God's presence and we step into that place of joy rises up in us joy rises up in us and joy and faith are one of the biggest contenders to fear and worry they cannot coexist in the same space I don't know if you've ever tried it before but if you've been if you've been feeling low if you suddenly try and um you know rise up in faith or joy it shifts you into it because you can't hold them two at the same time and same if you're in joy if you then try and be worried about something they just can't they don't go together they're so polar opposite you can't hold those two emotions and those two feelings and those two positions within your heart and therefore we need to hand it over. We need to hand over our heart and our mindset to this place of joy and expectation. And even if it takes a long time, the wise men, they had to wait hundreds and hundreds. You know, it was going back to their, the people, their colleagues before them, their ancestors before them, um, who had to, you know, really work and, and understand the prophecies. And they didn't see it fulfilled. And so they had to wait and wait and wait. And so do not despise the small beginnings and do not despise the waiting. But like the, like the wise men, let us rejoice in that. Let us rejoice in the small bits. Let us rejoice in the small signs. It isn't always necess um, necessarily easy that we can do that, though. And I understand that because, you know, we have this contention with our earthly, fleshly self that we are trying to submit to the Lord every day. And sometimes we can see the glass as half empty rather than half full. And so what can we do to help ourselves? How can we learn to be like the wise men? Well, what they did is they studied. They studied and studied and studied. They learned, they learned to look for the signs. They learned to look for the promises. They learned to look for what was to come. Because actually what they were doing is they were studiers of hope. Prophecy is all about hope. It's all about hope of what is to come. And so what they did is they trained themselves to look for signs. They trained themselves to look for hope. And we can do that too. So when we come and we look at the things around us in this season, in this time, we can allow hope to rise. We can allow joy to rise up. It may seem small with what we've got. It may not look like what we want it to look like. It might not be where... We wish it could be. But rather than despising it and worrying over it, we can see it as a sign and a thing of hope for what is, for what is to materialize. And so I just want to pray for hope in this time. 
I know this season is a difficult one for some. And, you know, we've had prayer in, in pre-service, not pre-service, in our vigils um, on Friday and Thursdays that have coming about that have said, you know, this is a difficult time where people may be feeling low, may be feeling despaired or disappointed or, or alone. And so I want to just pray for hope right now. I want to give a prayer of hope in this place. Because if we can learn to be like the wise men who may have had a long journey, may have not even the previous wise men would not have seen the completion, but they look for the signs, they study hope, they study the possibilities, and they step into a place of rejoicing, they step into the place of God's presence, then we too can be filled with hope. And so I'm going to read out scripture first because scripture is always a great place to start. And let this be blessings over you. So if you just receive, <laughs> as I read, Romans 15, 13. I pray over you today that may the Lord God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope, that you would have hope in abundance, that it wouldn't just be a little bit of a portion for you, but that you would step into the, the possibilities of hope and in the overflowing of hope in that place and peace and joy that these are your portions we decree in this place today let hope and peace and joy be your portion and Romans 8 24 25 now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do my, my bit's gone wrong here but if we hope for what we do Oh, we will wait with patience. Basically, if we don't see it, if we, you know, hoping in something that is before us is easy. It doesn't take anything from us. It doesn't take much of us. We have to hope in things that are to come, things that are unseen, in the, in the things of heaven. We have to hope in that. And so, Lord, right now in this place, I ask, God, that we would not see with our earthly eyes, but that we would see with heaven's perspective. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to understand heaven's rule and reign and that we would get caught up in that, that we wouldn't despair at what looks like before us, God, but that we would step into the heavenly realm. And, Lord, that you would flood our hearts with your rejoicing in it, that your rejoicing and your joy would become our joy, God, and that we would just hold on to hope with everything that we have, that we may not see it in this moment, but that hope is for things that are unseen, God, and that you would just rise up within us, God, rise up the hope within us. And so, Lord, in Psalm 33, 18, Lord, your eyes are on me, and I place my hope in your unfailing love. So, Lord, we would place our hope in you. And 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, God, help me not to lose heart, even if it feels that I'm wasting away. Remind me that inwardly I am being renewed day by day and fix my eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. And so, Lord, we just ask in your precious name that you would come 
and just rise up hope. You are the God of hope. And that as we step into your presence, God, as we come and worship you and you fall upon us and you you visit us in our midst over this Christmas, Lord, that we would not find loneliness, that loneliness would be, would be crushed. That is the enemy's portion and that is not ours. So right now, God, we just stamp on the head of the enemy and we just ask God that you would come and that you would fill this place with your presence, that your angels would come and visit every home, every household, God, that your presence would come and thicken in that place, Lord. And so every place of loneliness, abandonment, rejection, worry, fear, failure, anything like that, would be removed and that hope and joy and peace would rise up in that place that God people would take hold of it with two hands they would take hold of you God and that they would not let go that your peace would reign over their minds and your joy would reign in their hearts and so Lord we just ask this in your precious precious name amen and so we're gonna praise the Lord one more time kind of Dan's got something yeah we're gonna God for a little bit and then we've got a bit of a ministry point and then we're going to do maybe a silly song at the end for a very good reason but um because we want the joy of the Lord we want to capture that joy that that the wise men were capturing and holding on to and so why don't you stand and join me in worship first and father I ask would you mark us today would you mark us through these stories, God? Would you let them, in fact, God, would you not let them be stories? Would you let them be examples? Would you let them be values? Would you let them be disciplines in our life? God, we would capture the discipline of the Magi that with diligence, and with hope we would look to you with earnest, earnest desire to see your kingdom come and be established on this earth. Let us not be distracted. Let us not turn the left to the right, but keep our eyes fixed on you and your signs and your wonders. God, would you let us learn from the shepherds that we would become people who don't struggle to identify Jesus. But God, that we would see you and identify you in all things and through all things. And God, that we would speak of you, God. But also, would you let us be people of joy? Father, we don't want to be miserable church. We don't want to be depressed Christians. We don't want to be a bunch of people who hide in a room and people think are really weird and don't want to come and be around God. We want to be infectious with your joy, God. God, we want to be infectious with your joy that people would remark of us and say, Why are these people so joy-filled? And we would be able to say, because we have a reason to praise. We have a reason to glorify. We have a reason to bring hope. That even when we head to family gatherings and there's politics and dynamics, that your joy would be in abundance and overcome us. And so let's worship him with joy and adoration and passion right now in Jesus' mighty name.
Why don't you just give glory to God right now? Come on, praise Him. I was, we, Falake was kind of filling me in, but there's been this real kind of coming together this morning of, um, of healing. Um, Timmy had a dream 
of um, somebody, it was a dream, right? Yeah, a dream of somebody who'd had, who had webbed feet, which basically looked like three toes that get completely healed immediately into five toes. So that may be you. If you have webbed feet, then this is a word of knowledge for you. But if you don't, it also signifies healing. And um, Simi was also reminded of a load of healing she's seen. And if you don't know if you remember, but back in March, we had a... Um, a service where I preached on us being a house of miracles and we really believe that God is in the business of releasing miracles in our church family and I, and I feel, like, feel like we need to go off that today but I wasn't quite sure how I was like what's Holy Spirit saying and he brought me to this scripture two scriptures the first one he brought me to was Psalm 91 and it says this dwells in the secret place of the most high under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him, I will trust. And if you think, like I was speaking this morning about how actually this is wrong, I'm going to try and find a tower this week or make one. I'll do like a blue pizza and make one out of paper mache or something. But this is a wrong picture here. A stable or cave. It was a fortress. A place that was known for generations as somewhere where you could go to in times of need for safety and protection. We have a God in whom we can say of him, he is my refuge and my fortress. And I don't know what Christmas looks like for you, but I know for a lot of people in this church, it's a very different dynamic. Some of you will spend Christmas Day not really enjoying yourself because you'll be forced to be around family members who maybe rub you the wrong way, amongst other things. You may be around people who don't give glory to Jesus and they give glory to other things on Christmas Day. But I can tell you something. He is your refuge and your fortress. And I think one of the wonderful things about what we've heard about the shepherds today is that he is a mighty fortress. And then check this out. In Proverbs 18 verse 10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe or saved. And actually the word there in, to get it up, well done, well done. And the word safe there. And actually, if we look at the word saved, and this is where I feel like the healing is going to come today, is that actually, if you look in the Hebrew and the Greek, every time the word salvation, saved, safe, it's all around the same word. And actually, if you look at Jesus' ministry, and I'm going to do this super fast, but in the Greek, every time it says someone was delivered, it was a word that is sozo or dear sozo for delivered. Or if somebody was healed, it was a word sozo. Or if they were set free, it was sozo. Or if they found salvation, it was sozo. The word sozo is a really good word. Because when it says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, the salvation there, sozo, is deliverance. It is freedom. It is healing. It is salvation. And so actually, when we say that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are saved, we're saying that the righteous run into it and they're healed. The righteous run into it and they're delivered. The righteous run into it and they're set free. And actually, if we think about what Ashley's been saying this morning about the extravagant joy, I said to Hannah, I was like, it's like Mr. Kipling joy. Exceedingly good joy. <laughs> um, if we find that exceedingly good joy in him, things happen alongside that. We're saved. Could it be the shepherds were the first people who were saved? They encountered the strong tower of righteousness and found hope and joy and salvation. The three kings encountered the strong tower of righteousness and they received freedom and healing and joy. Do you want to receive freedom and healing and joy today? 
And so I asked for the kids to come back in, and we're going to, this may work, it may not. I met, I met Stephen right in the middle of actually talking. I was like, do you know this song? And it's, it's, a, it's a kid's song. And, and it, the lyrics are, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, but it's high. Because the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous will run into it and they are saved. And so as we finish this morning, we're not going to do a ministry time in a normal sense of laying on of hands, but you're going to be your own ministry team this morning. Because we're going to, we're going to finish in joy. We're going to finish in here. And some of you are going to need to get up and dance a little bit. And that's why I wanted the kids in here, because you don't need to be embarrassed when there's kids around, because they will always be more embarrassing than you. It's joyful. So kids, why don't you guys come up here to the front as well? If you want to get out of your seat and dance this morning as well, you can. But we're going to sing Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. You may not know this song. We'll figure it out as we go. Some of you need to run this morning. I'm serious. Some of you need to run this morning. You know, we're a charismatic church, and so it's perfectly normal for people to run. I've been in churches before. It's extraordinary. I, I've completely forgotten this. I was in Turkey, just out in Izmir, just outside Ephesus, uh, probably 11 years ago, something like that, um, with Duncan and Kate Smith, and we were doing a Ilsom, a leader's school for Turkish and Iranian pastors. And one of the pastor's sons were there who had, um, like, who was, I think he was, he's basically, He's basically completely disabled in a wheelchair, unable to move, unable to talk, everything. And he, through the way he communicated, he, he, he could flip through the Bible and he actually found this verse and showed it to his dad. And his dad came up to Duncan and was like, I think my son wants to run into the tower, but he can't. And you've met Duncan. He's an extravagant guy. And so Duncan picked this boy up and put him on his shoulders and started running around this room, just roaring roaring with laughter and this little boy just started to roar with laughter too and we didn't see his whole healing but what we saw in that moment was this amazing picture of the righteous running running into their freedom running into their healing and so I know you know charismaticism gets accused of a lot of silliness but here's the reality silliness when it's a prophetic statement with God and so the only rule I'm going to put in place is there's cables on the floor, be careful please but if you need to run today, run please run run around the stage, run around the room, run around the car park I don't care but run because run into your freedom run into your healing, run into your deliverance run into your salvation run into everything you need this season, so why don't you stand up with me go for it Stephen Can we get Stephen's mic on, please? <laughs> Andy, can we get Stephen's mic on, please? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 